Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. What follows is the service from September 25th, 2022. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. Welcome to Ackland Avenue, Church of Christ. This morning's opening reading is from 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I'd also like to read from the an alternate lectionary reading from Jeremiah 32, 1 through 3 and 6 through 15. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anoth, for the right redemption, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anoth. For my cousin Hanamel, and weighed out the money to him, seventeen shekels of silver. I signed the deed and sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took and sealed the deed of purchase containing terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel. In the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard, in their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Will you bow with me? <coughs> Holy God, you inspired Jeremiah to buy a piece of land when no one could see a future in it. Grant us such commitment to the future of your people, that you will always have workers for your vineyards and harvesters for your fields. Amen.
He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the land, lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, and active in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Let's pray. Lord, we assemble together today to praise your name for the good works you have done and will do, both throughout history and in our own lives. We remember your compassion, your faithfulness, your plan of redemption. As we remember your good works, we put our trust in you and ask for your healing and blessing on those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are grieving. We ask for you to be with those among us, Tyra, the family of Debbie Grubb, Alice, Stina, Leanne, Brett, Pam, Prentice's grandfather, Jane, Julia, Ed, Aiden, with Christy, Chuck, Ray, Jackson, Clinton, and Al, um, and with all of our missionaries. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We put our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Supplement number eight. Number eight. Savior, I 
you would mark after the lesson 368. 368. Turn out of 471. Retreat. 
Paul, I'm making eye contact with you. Let's do a rundown of who all went. I think Tim went, Jonathan, Charlie Perkins, Beth, Amy, Ireland, Cosette, Bonnie and Awen went. Did we get them all? Great group. So grateful for them. Let me brag for a second about something I didn't do. I was at a minister and pastor's lunch this week. We're having breakout discussions at tables. And one of the questions was, what does your church do for spiritual formation? And I said, and everybody's like, oh, we should do more for spiritual formation. And they were sharing something. I was like, yeah, my church does a retreat twice a year. We go and pray in the mountains. And one of our guys leads it. They go, yeah, you win. That, that, that's great. And I'm like, yeah, it's not because of me. It's because of Brian. Okay. But anyway, if you've never been on one of these retreats, they're just such a blessed experience. So they're up on Monteagle Mountain uh, near Sewanee, a retreat facility. And Ryan's leading them through uh, a time of prayer. And they normally have a time of silence. I think Matt Perkins and I say this is one of the most challenging experiences of our life. Was it noon to six? We had to be quiet, Matt, the year we went. And everyone else seemed to handle that really well. But Matt and I had a lot to catch up on once we could talk again at six. But anyway, so good to see everybody this morning. Uh, we've been doing a series uh, as we're coming back and we're like, okay, you know, and we're not saying that COVID's no longer a thing, but we think we're back as a church from all the stuff that we've, we've gone through. And hey, let's, let's get organized a little bit. Let's remind ourselves of who we are as a church. So we talked about what is a church? What is a preacher? What is an elder? What is a deacon? And then next week, we're going to install deacons. We're very excited about this. It'll kind of be a different type of service as we pray over our new deacons. This Saturday night, we're having a dinner uh, at my house, cookout with the elders and the deacons and families. It's going to be a, a big time. Uh, but this morning, we're going to talk about what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Yesterday morning, I was coaching one of my kids' soccer teams, and in our soccer league, we play five on five. Now, we started the season with seven players, so two subs, right? Uh, one of the young men decided that soccer was not his thing and quit after the first practice. And then uh, another, another one of our kids went, went to the beach. I informed them that it wasn't fall break. They told me they were homeschoolers. They live on their own time schedule, right? Okay. So we only had five players yesterday. And it's a five-on-five league, so no subs, right? You, everybody's got to play the whole game, okay? And so we huddled yesterday. We're Team Flash, okay? And we huddled together as a team, and I said, okay, everybody listen. No subs today. Everybody's playing the entire time. No subs. Everybody's playing the entire time. And family, that's what it means to be a church. There are no subs. We're all playing the entire time. We do not have a class system in the church where there are people that do the real ministry and then there are people that just sit and watch. Okay? That was what high school basketball was for me. I sat on the bench and I watched people that were better than me play and I clapped and I was rather good at clapping. Okay? But that's not what church is. There are no subs. We're all playing. One of the things that we reacted to if we go back in church history, if we go back to the Protestant Reformation, was this idea of sometimes, and this is not <clears throat> true of all Catholicism, but sometimes Catholicism atrophied into there were priests and nuns that did the real work of the church and monks, and everybody else just kind of watched. And one of the reactions of the Protestant Reformation was to say there is a priesthood of all believers, and there's not a hierarchy. Now, some people work for Jesus, and then some people pay, so that those people can work for Jesus. 
We're all working for Jesus. And the word used in scripture for that is disciple, follower, apprentice of Jesus. It's no accident that when our movement, the restoration movement, began about 200 years ago, and people on the American frontier, at that time it was Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Western Pennsylvania, that time on the American frontier, and they were seeing how denominationalism was getting competitive, like maybe this isn't really good for the future of the church, we're getting tribal in our thinking, and we see how that creeps in all the time, we always have to be on guard against tribalism, uh, but they said, let's just be Christians. But many of you know this, what they often refer to themselves was disciples. So someone would say, are you Baptist, are you Methodist, are you Presbyterian? And they would say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And that was what they were known as. Out of the Restoration Movement, there are three uh, groups today, Churches of Christ, Independent Christian Church, and Disciples of Christ. They still have that title. They're known as disciples. Okay. And we are all called to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. We're going to read a text in just a second, but I, I want us to unpack a little bit more what this means to be an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, to imitate Jesus. And I want you to think for a second about the people in your life that you have imitated. The people in your life that you have intentionally tried to imitate. So I remember as a kid... My mother sewed a Batman cape and a Superman cape. And so one Christmas, me and my brother, at that point I just had one brother, we eat one of, I can't even remember who got the Batman cape and who got the Superman cape. All it is, we had the two capes, okay? And we'd go back and forth, and we'd tie them around our neck, and we would imitate, I am Batman, or I am Superman. And like, we would jump off the deck. Thankfully, we weren't jumping off the house trying to fly, okay? But we were jumping off the deck and all kinds of things, imitating them trying to be like them. <clears throat> I have a very embarrassing photo of my sixth grade sleepover birthday party when it, me and all my friends are wearing camo and we're imitating G.I. Joe and we're going out in the woods because that was what I was really big into at that time. As, as it got later, I began to imitate various sports figures and sports heroes. I grew up during the time of Michael Jordan. And specifically, Michael Jordan once did, it's one of the most famous movies he did, and I'm not going to, I could spend 20 minutes on it, but uh, in the 1991 NBA Finals against the Lakers, he did this move where he went up with one hand and they tried to block it, so he brought it down to the other hand and went up. Several of you just made eye contact and you're like, I remember the transformative experience of watching that live. Okay, so I would go out in the backyard and practice that over and over again. I never pulled it off in a game, but I can do it on a Nerf goal if you'd like to see me sometime. I can do it on a Nerf hoop. Okay, but I will imitate that over and over again in music. Okay, here's why I want you to be honest. You're going to be tempted to make fun of me, but be honest in music. As you sing along in the car or in your room, who are the musicians that you've tried to imitate their voice? You've tried to sing just like them. Okay, as I think back through all my years of listening to music, okay. Like all good kids in the 80s, I went through a Michael Jackson phase, okay? Thriller was the first record I ever owned, okay? It went to later, I went through a Millie Vanilli phase where I was imitating, well, maybe I wasn't imitating them, they weren't the ones singing. But anyway, um, later, I'll con this is gonna get, I didn't know how confessional this was about to get. I went through a Vanilla Ice phase, some of you did too, okay? Uh, I would imitate Boys to Men. Me and my friends would always sing Boys to Men in the locker room, okay? 
And then I went through two contrasting phases. I went through an Axel Rose phase, and then I went through a Kurt Cobain phase. Those are not the same phase. But I would, in the car, try to make my voice sound like that. And even, I tried to sing like Mariah Carey. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, falsetto, it's there. Some of you look at me like we're off the rails at this point, okay? But, imitation. As if I needed one more embarrassing story, I would also imitate people based on style. Do you remember the first time as a teenager you saw someone dress in a way you're like, that's really cool, and your parents are like, what are you doing? And you're like, no, no. I, I saw this. This is a good idea. And your parents are like, oh, okay, okay. For me, it was, I was really into the show Beverly Hills 90210. I thought Luke Perry and Jason Priestley were really cool. I still can't believe Luke Perry's deceased. But anyway, um, I grew long sideburns. Okay, this was early 90s. And I tight-rolled my jeans. And I remember my parents going, what, what are you doing? And I go, it's really cool. I'm going to tight-roll my jeans. Okay? And uh, it probably wasn't a good idea in the long run. Okay. But we do these things, right, to imitate people. To imitate people. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to in our lives begin to imitate Jesus. So let's read our scripture together this morning. If you would stand with me for the gospel reading. Our reading comes from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, 25 through 30. This word yoke that's going to come up at least twice in this passage is all about being an apprentice, all about being a follower, all about being a disciple. Matthew chapter 11, 25 through 30. If you would join with me in the bold section. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Together, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may be seated. That's the word of the Lord. The main educational model in this time period was the apprenticeship model, meaning you followed someone around, watch what they did, and you tried to do it exactly like them. The education model was not sit in the classroom, one teacher with anywhere from 20 to 40 students, sometimes 60 to 100 in a college lecture hall, right? Listen to them, auditory, and then take a test. And if you pass the test, then you pass and you go out into the world. Our modern education system is often, if you know about something, you pass. Their education system back then was, you follow someone, and when you are ready to do what they do, you have passed. Uh, people like to think, obviously, of the Star Wars movies on the apprenticeship model, right? My main experience with the apprenticeship model was two summers going through college where I worked as an electrician's assistant. Uh, an elder at my church owned his own electrical company, and so two summers I got to work with them. I was not in training to be an electrician, but they kind of threw me in that orbit. And one summer, I worked for a guy named Mickey, and uh, the next summer I worked for a guy named Bill. And I loved being their helpers that summer. And I noticed over time, I would act the way they acted, 
I would carry my tools the way they carried their tools and people would say, hey, you're, you're Mickey's helper, right? You're Bill's helper. My nickname those two summers was, was the Pope. I went by Joe Paul at that time. At that time, the Pope was John Paul and I was studying to be a minister. I tried to tell them I was Protestant and went over their head. Anyway, I, but I was the Pope for two summers as I was, a, I was an electrician. Uh, but I, they would teach me, I remember Mickey would say, when you're, when you're changing out a plug, and to this day I know enough electrical work to be dangerous, okay? But he would say, when you're changing out a plug, some people are going to tell you to twist the wire this way. The fastest way to twist it, and the most effective, is twist the wire this way. And then somebody would come back and look at it later, and they'd say, Mickey, did you do this plug? And he was like, no, Pope did that plug. Pope did all the plugs on that wall. And he said, I can tell. Because he, he twists wire the way you twist wire. Okay? And that was the point of the summer. Okay? Is I would learn to do everything they did the exact same way they did it. In exchange, okay, I would carry their ladder, I would carry their stuff, but in exchange, they would buy my lunch one day a week and they would do kind of things to dote on me. And that was the relationship of kind of a master apprentice for those two summers. We listened to the music in the car and on the work site that they wanted to listen to. At no point did they say, Pope, what do you want to listen to? <laughs> At no point, right? Because I was the apprentice, so to speak. And I, I was just a helper, but they actually have that language uh, in the electrical world, okay? And that's what it meant to be an apprentice. And back in Jesus' time, when Jesus would call them and say, follow me, he wasn't saying, someday... You're going to be given the test. And if you get the right answers on the test, then you're a follower of me. Someday you're going to be given a creedal statement. And if you intellectually agree with everything on the creedal statement, then you're a disciple. Now, and those things have their place. But he's saying, I want you to learn to do every single thing the way I do it. And when your life looks like mine, you're a disciple. Jesus had no hope that we would ever become perfect, and I'm not trying to say we're perfect, and I'm not trying to bring in some type of legalism, okay? But it's just the sense of to follow Jesus is to try to live your life as Jesus would live it if he was in your place. And the word they often use is the idea of yoke, okay? So back then in an agricultural society, they would have two oxen, and they would have a piece of wood, Okay, think about this. Some of you grew up around farming, okay? But they would have a piece of wood that they would put over the two oxen, and that way the person driving the plow could steer it, or somebody driving the car could steer it, and the wood was over the oxen, and that was a yoke, okay? So the oxen had to go the same direction. They both had to go right, or they both had to go left. They had to go the same direction together. Henry, you come up with me and illustrate this. We practiced this. Some of you are like, you get nervous when he draws people up out of the audience. Did he ask their permission? Okay, I asked Henry's permission. Okay, so we're going to link arms. Okay, so this is what it means to be yoked. Pretend we're oxen. Okay, so like a piece of wood on our shoulders and, and we're yoked. So if one of us goes this way, the other one goes this way. And if one of us goes this way, the other one goes this way. So Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to be yoked with me. Come into this and link arms with me, you know, the, kind of the wood on the back of our necks. And when I go this way, I want you to come with me. Okay? But of course, when we go that way, go that way, Jesus can be like, no, that's not the way we're going. Okay, it's not a, it's not a relationship of equals. Christianity is not a relationship of equals. Okay. 
We're following Jesus, and he's pulling us a certain direction. Thank you, Henry. Extra donut for that guy. So um, <laughs> that is what it means to be under yoke. That's why I love the Elijah-Elisha story. Matt read that at the beginning of the service. Some of you are just coming in. Okay. The beauty of that was Elijah was the master in that relationship, or the leader, and he's calling Elisha to be his apprentice. But there's actually a real yoke involved, because he is plowing, right? So he's got a yoke there, and Elisha, or Elijah basically comes up to him and says, I want you to leave that yoke, and I want you to come be under my yoke. I want you to leave this physical yoke you have, you're working in the fields, I want you to come to be under my yoke. And did you notice, what does Elisha do with his old yoke? He burns it. <laughs> There's no going back, okay? There's no backup parachute. He burns it, and they have a feast, and it's given to the poor, and they celebrate that he has now taken on the yoke of Elijah. I love this passage here, because Jesus talks about how his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Here's the deal. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all following someone. You have your favorite podcast you listen to, your favorite news source you go to, your definition of success, your mentor at work, that you're following their trajectory. Maybe it's your parents' influence. Maybe it's the voice of your parents or other ancestors that aren't even here anymore. But you are following something. And you're pursuing that. And as Jesus looks around, both then and now, he looks at a bunch of people that are super tired and are super weary. Some of you are like, I'm tired right now as you say that. Okay. We are worn out because the things we are trying to follow... The things that we have become disciples of have worn us out. And here's the thing. American culture, with its race towards money, success, and fame, and trying to get to a point in life where you don't have to depend on anyone, and then you're lonely in a big house somewhere, okay? But all those types of things will exhaust you. And you will be tired. If you're tired this morning, it may be you just need a better night's sleep. But most likely the reason you're tired is the things that you are a disciple of are wearing you out. And Jesus is saying there's something better. Now, here's what I misinterpreted sometimes growing up, and I think sometimes we misinterpret this even now, is that Jesus comes and says, boy, you've got this yoke of the things you're chasing. Take the yoke off and just live without a yoke. Don't follow anything. Follow your heart. I know what people mean by follow their heart, but following my own heart has never worked out in my life. <laughs> and following my heart has caused me plenty of Okay, I know what they mean, okay. But becoming my own yoke, discipling after myself, trying to be both the apprentice and the master, to use that language, has never worked out for me. Jesus is not calling us to no yoke at all. Jesus is not saying, hey, don't follow anybody. Just do your own thing. Jesus is saying, follow me. And when we read that, I'm like, I am so tired. The last thing I want is a yoke. Yes, Jesus, I am burdened by the yoke I'm carrying. I am burdened by the things I'm chasing. I am burdened by the things I'm pursuing. And I want nothing more, Jesus, than to take this off. But then you say, 
take my yoke upon me. And you say your burden is light, but I have a hard time trusting because every yoke I've ever had in my life felt heavy. But do we trust Jesus? I remember my junior year of high school, maybe it was my senior year. My parents made me take a typing class my senior year of high school. And my parents didn't really control my schedule and my extracurricular, but they really said, you have to take this typing class. And I said, why? I already know how to type. I'm super fast at typing as it is, right? Why do I need to type? And they said, you will never regret learning how to type the right way. And I remember sitting down, I think her name was Miss Stringer, my typing teacher in high school. And I remember sitting down at the keyboard and her going over these exercises of how we were supposed to type. And I tell you, it was so frustrating because I knew how to do it better. And as I learned how to do it, quote unquote, correctly, it actually took me longer at first. And that was incredibly frustrating as I was trying to do my hands the right way and the way they taught it. I got slower at first and I was like, this yoke is not easy. This yoke is heavier. This is not a good idea. But yet, over time, I realized this is actually a better way to type. It's faster. And suddenly I was doing 20 words a minute, 30 words a minute, 40 words, 50 words, 60 words a minute. And now I don't even think when I type, right? Some of you can type a lot. I don't even think when I type. And let me tell you, the burden that Miss Stringer put on me, my senior in high school, that yoke, it does not feel like a burden. The yoke of learning how to type is easy. It is an easy yoke. Another way to think of it is this. When you go roller skating, and if you haven't been roller skating lately, I encourage you to go. There's something just, it never gets old, okay? But if you, when you roller skate, right, and you've been roller skating about an hour or so, and then you take off the roller skates and you put on your shoes again, right? Doesn't it feel super weird? You're like, oh my goodness, this, is this how it feels to walk? Like you just, I'm not as fast as I used to be, okay? And at first, it's a weird yoke. It's a weird burden. But then you're like, oh yeah, this is what it means to walk. And you grow into it again. So here's the thing. We are exhausted so much of the time because we're following dysfunctional dead ends and we often see Jesus' grace and mercy is you don't have to follow anything you are free and there is some truth of being free obviously Jesus does free us but Jesus frees us into a different yoke and following Jesus is actually good for us living the way we were intended to live is actually good for us but so often we react abrasively to it because at first it feels just like any other yoke. We can't get over the hump of, oh, this is a better way to type or, oh, this is a better way to walk. We must trust Jesus that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we must push back against the greatest scandal of the American church today, and that is this. We have produced a lot of converts and very few disciples. We have produced a lot of converts and very few disciples. We have produced a lot of people that when given the social research, check the box that they're a Christian, and yet far fewer 
live like Jesus. Can you think of anything the world needs more than just more people that actually live like Jesus? You've all had the experience of listening to a podcast or seeing a TED Talk or reading a book about finances and getting really excited and saying, what if I did my finances that way? What if I planned for retirement that way? What if I parented my kids that way? What if I approached my marriage that way? What if I just sorted my email and organized my life that way? What if I approached diet or exercise that way? And you gotten excited and you told people about it and said, hey, did I tell you this video I saw? Hey, did I tell you this podcast I listened to? Hey, did I tell you this book I read or this thing I heard about? What if we saw Jesus like that? And we said things like, Man, I used to always argue with this jerk that I was in life with. And then I just, I read this teaching, this Jesus of Nazareth teaching on turning the other cheek and not retaliating. And then I just realized, I'm just not going to enter into the crazy. I'm just going to walk away. And guess what? My life got a whole lot better when I did that. I had all this unresolved anxiety because of my family of origin and my friends, and I was upset with all these people. And then I read Jesus of Nazareth said, if you have a problem with somebody, if someone sinned against you, you just go to them face to face. You do the best you can, or you take somebody with you if you think it's going to go awry. I used to be all stressed about trying to accomplish all this stuff. And then I read Jesus of Nazareth said, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Those things are just going to get old and wear out. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. I begin to think about what's in heaven, and what's in heaven is God and other people. So when I make God and people a priority, I'm free from all that. What would it look for like for us to take off the yokes of this world and put on the yokes of Jesus? And to try to live our life as Jesus would have lived our life if he was in our place. Not to be a convert, not just to say Christianity is about intellectual ascent to the virgin birth and the physical resurrection and all that, and I'm a big fan of all those things, but to say being a Christian is every day by the power of spirit trying to go out and actually live like Jesus. And what if that is what it means to be saved, to live like we were always created to live? Let's stand together and sing. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. God of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thy holy
reading today. 107. Food crawl. 
Um, and so what they did was they sold tickets, you bought a ticket, you got in one of those charter buses, and you drove up and down the Lynchville Road and you get to stop at restaurants, uh, and they feed you like all day. Um, and you get all of these different um, uh, nationalities, all of these different food. It's just tremendous, one of my favorite days of the year. Um, I became a little bit of an evangelist for it and started trying to bring as many people as possible. Um, and then COVID hit and it all kind of stops. Um, and then last year they started, um, rather than, than pick up the food crawl again, they started with what they call the night market. Um, and so they have a new uh, facility uh, by the uh, Sam's off of Antioch Pike. Um, and they had uh, lots of different restaurants set up in, in that area. And so last night, Robbie and I went and we had Guyanese food. I had um, goat from a Somalian restaurant. I had um, two other African places, some arepas from a Col Colombian place. Just tremendous, tremendous food. Um, and I love food and I love to eat. Um, and just the, the process of being there um, with all of those different people um, committed vaguely, sort of, to the same thing, but the desire to share what they had, to share their experiences, and to share their, their lives in a lot of ways made me think of this um, piece that William Willimon wrote uh, about the Lord's Supper several years ago, in which he, he talks about different things that this meal brings to mind for us. Um, God is one of them. The story is one of them. Uh, but people is, is uh, one of the main things that he wants us to think about when we think about this meal. And this is what, what he writes. The supper also breaks it. The Supper also speaks about human beings, that we too are the object of grace's claim upon us, that the God who meets us in Christ, the God who is the object of the church's worship and the subject of the church's song, is utterly and completely for us. The truth is most starkly placed before us in the fact that the table's host is Jesus, the thoroughly human God, upon whose flesh and blood we feast and to whom we belong. And because the fellowship of the supper is a public and not a private event, it also recalls that to belong to Christ is to belong to Christ's body. It is to belong to those other than ourselves. So we eat not only with friends, but with strangers, with enemies, and with betrayers. This raises all sorts of questions about the appropriateness or otherwise, of home group, for example, celebrating the supper together. But more importantly, it recalls that this community, unlike a club or a special, special interest group, is not held together by a common commitment, not even by our common commitment to Christ, for we do not create our communion. Rather, we receive one another with Christ and Christ with one another. We at once received Christ and the church in which we receive him. That is, at Eucharist, we are, as Robert Jensen puts it, co-embodiments of Christ. Let's pray together. Holy God, creator of all, we are grateful for this meal. We are grateful for your presence in this meal and the presence of your son. And we pray that as this bread 
uh, is embodied by Christ, that we may also be embodied by Christ right now, today, and this week. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Holy God, thank you for this, this wine that we share together. We pray that rather than quench our thirst, that it will make us more thirsty uh, to be your people in this world. Um, that we will, we will taste it throughout the week and be re reminded of what our calling is to be with you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.
951. 
Come on, church. Got a couple of announcements before we finish. Um, I'd like to start off uh, with some uh, birthdays and anniversaries. Uh, so, um, happy birthday to Ali Church on uh, the 27th, and Norbeth Copeland on the 26th, and Clark, whose birthday is today. Um, also, um, happy anniversary, Clark and Jenna as well. That's exciting week for, for Clark. Um, thanks, I appreciate somebody laughing at <laughs> I need, I needed that. Um, yeah, so, um, okay, so um, there are some things coming up soon, just to kind of keep, keep in mind um, in the calendar. Um, this Wednesday, we'll be at the Conways. Um, and then Friday, there is from, there's a middle school girls movie night um, with Hayden. Um, so please see the email um, and let Hayden know if you can come. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun, I bet. Uh, let's see. It's uh, theater season again, so, th so, so hold, hold, hold on to here. We've got um, Hillsborough High School's production of Eurydice. I hope I said that right is happening from September 30th to, to October 3rd. Eowyn Wagner is performing in it, and Cosette and Ireland Solenberger are on the stage crew. <clears throat> okay, and then Esther Mullins will be performing in the Lipscomb Academy's production of Annie Jr. with showtimes from October 1st through October 3rd. So break a leg, girls. Um, we've got Wednesday, October 5th, there's an area-wide teen devotional. That'll be a lot of fun, as well as October 9th, the middle and high school are invited to a campfire lunch followed by zip lining. What? Man, I didn't do that when I was a kid. Um, zip lining and capture the flag on JP's parents' land in Laverne. So a lot of exciting stuff. There's ladies retreat stuff's coming soon, as well as a men's retreat. So you know, you know where to go for that information. Um, I think that's it. Does anybody else have anything else to share? Or? She, she, she did. She did. I definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, more about that later. She's my daughter, so I should shut up. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, um, there's coffee and donuts downstairs, and we're having class just here in a moment. Oh, one more thing. I do have camp pictures. So I've got, I've got pictures for some Beatys, Gibsons, Scobies, Spiveys, Sullenbergers, Thorntons, Wagners. Good stuff. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.